everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing all right. I ran seven miles today, which felt like 17. And I'm really tired, like really tired from it. Um, Yeah. I mean, maybe, well, well, we do talk a little bit about it in this episode with Jenny Grimshaw, which was such a great episode. I had so much fun with Jenny. Um, but one of the the big reveal of why I have not been partaking in racing and have been taking a little bit of a break is because I'm about, well, when this comes out, I'll be about 15 weeks pregnant. So Yay. any running right now is a win. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so excited that... Uh, the podcast fans get to know our podcast crew and that things are, you know, going well, but it is a journey about how fun to have so many like local women who have gone through this and who are so open about it. And, you know, I just think that the more we talk about it and the less kind of gatekeeping there is, the more openness, like just good for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think too, like I naively was like, oh, I'll be one of those runners. It's fine. I'll be able to run every day. Like, and the first like weeks, I don't know, five through like 11 were just, I just wasn't having it and had no motivation to run, like felt terrible when I was running and, you know, have been getting back to it and trying to hit like a certain amount of mileage. I'm not going to say because everybody's different each week, but even just like setting those goals. I mean, you and I were talking about it before we started recording and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but my mantra really throughout this entire time is mood follows action. And so it's less about, I have to get out and I have to do these miles. It's more about like, how will my mood or how will I'm feeling today be impacted by, by getting out and doing something? Yeah. I've been, you know, using that as well, just to like, right now I'm just going through like just a tough time where I'm like, motivation is low. I don't really feel that great. Like I feel kind of disconnected. I'm just in the kind of malaise of like, what is going on with me? What is going on in the world? And yeah, I mean, I've had to really use that trick and it does like, I, I both feel like, you know, paying attention to it on the run can be really helpful. Like, you know, kind of like taking a temperature gauge of being like, I am coming in at a four out of 10 right now before mm-hmm. the run, you know, during the run and then after the run, it always is better. But, you know, I do sometimes struggle during the run. You know, you were saying like you had, you know, a run that was seven miles, it felt like 17 and now you're tired. Like, do you ever feel like you kind of get caught in the like negativity of just like, this is just hard. Like, why am I doing this? Yeah, I think that it's usually I feel that way when I probably shouldn't have run at all. Right. Like it's either I am, my whoop is telling me that I really am uh, in the red and under recovered or I'm forcing it. I think that running is hard. Like, you know, it's not hard all the time, but even just getting out the door is like the hardest part. So typically, unless there's like a physiological reason why I shouldn't be running, there's something, I I think I use this trick of like, well, I've at least done one mile today or I've at least done two. And it's like, I, I sort of build myself up with those tiny accomplishments. I mean, like, I'm max, so seven miles today was my long run. Like I, I am typically doing about like five to six every day on a workout day with Dina. I might end up doing around eight, but that's like 
okay, you know, a warm up, the workout, and then like a very slow, like two and a half mile shuffle with Dina afterwards. So the miles stack up, but it doesn't, it feels so much more broken up. Um, I don't know, like back to your question of like, why am I doing this? And like, is it worth it? I think, yes, I have those questions, but it's, those always come up like when I'm not doing it for the right reason. So pregnant or not, it's like, you know, before I was pregnant, if I wanted to get in a double run and I did it just because I felt like I had to, or like, because everyone I follow on Instagram does it. Like typically those thoughts are when I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, when I'm doing it for the right reasons, I'm able to sort of like reframe it in a way. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think for me, the, like I'm out there doing the thing, but I still feel like, why am I doing this? Definitely comes when I do comparison. I'm like, mm-hmm. this didn't used to feel hard. Why is it feeling hard? And I'm kind of just not being like kind to myself. And you just kind of can get into that place of like, well, I'm trying to pay attention and I'm waiting for the mood to follow the action. Like when does that, <laughs> <laughs> the mood is follows it- the action when you stop your watch <laughs> and you you're done. Exactly. You just kind of have to like gratification. Yeah. 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 But you know, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure other people have had those runs where you're like literally looking at your watch. Like, can it come now? Can it come now? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> I could use it. I could use it right now. I think like I also use a lot of this, the same tricks just in like regular, like quote unquote, easy runs right now, Mm. which like feel like feel hard, even though they're my easy pace and I'm not pushing of like what happens during races or where like particularly marathons of like, you're going to have a bad patch. Hopefully it will end and there will be a good patch and just try to hang on to the good longer than the bad. And just knowing that like, even a a two or three mile run, you can go through so many different feelings and emotions just in that short time. And like, no, no feeling is forever. Yeah. That is, that is very powerful. You know, just training yourself to be like, everything is momentary. Like this will pass. Mm -hmm. And you know, that kind of meditative training where you're like, I'm just watching this. Like, Oh yeah. And then a little bit more distressed, but like, we're just kind of, kind of watch that storm come through, watch that Mm -hmm. pass. Um, but yeah, I think it's helpful in life too. Like before we got on, I was saying like, there's not one particular thing in work that's stressing me out right now. It's just like everything. And I'm like, okay, this is my weekend. I'm not going to let that like steal my rest and my joy, but it's the same thing with work of like, if you're going through a rough patch or life, like if you're going through a rough patch, it's not going to be bad or rough forever. It's all cyclical. And like, how can you remind yourself of that and, and hang on to it? And I'm honestly better at doing that when I'm running than in life. So I would yeah. like to practice that a little bit more in life. Yeah. Yeah, it is true. Running somehow, it feels like the, like the learning cycle is shorter. Like you can kind of practice it on mm. like, and see the results kind of more quickly. Like in life it is, it's hard to create that kind of like testing environment where you're like, I'm going to try this. Like, totally. how does it feel? Um, which is why running is so great. It's so great. It is. It's like a little <laughs> microcosm to like <laughs> prototype and try feelings out and then see how it works. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm excited to listen to this episode because I unfortunately couldn't join. So, um, but you know, Jenny is someone that I have admired for so long from when she was in New York and then seeing her come out here, watching her go through, you know, stuff with her, her mom and her own, you know, health there and, you know, having a kid and then coming back to running. Um, I'm just, I'm so excited to hear you this interview. Yeah. She's 
awesome. I've been following her for a while too and um, was almost a little nervous about this because it was like, oh, someone I have like a little bit of a girl crush on, I'm going to, and I, I kind of said that to her that I'm finally get to interview and meet, but she's also just so real and open about things, particularly her own health issues that she's been facing. And, you know, it's not, it's not always easy and what she's learned along the way and what she's sort of thinking about when she's embracing like this racing season and what this means to her in the, in the larger picture of her life, not just in her own running goals. And it was, it was fun. I was supposed to run the Napa marathon and then, um, got knocked up. And so I didn't, um, and, but I was there to cheer at the end for the half and I didn't know Jenny was running, but I saw like Lizzie come in and then Jen from PDC And then I see Jenny come in and fourth and she is just killing it. And, you know, we talk about this a little bit in the podcast. Every woman's journey postpartum is incredibly different. Like we talked to Amy Leadham about it. Not everyone can run a PR and a half marathon so soon after having a baby like Jenny did. But I think what it showed me is the range of possibilities that that might not be my experience, but it's not out of the realm of possibility and not to let fear kind of get in the way and to just see what happens. So it was, it was cool to see her, her kick it in super strong. Um, but yeah, this is a great episode and I don't know, like I was going to ask you too, I, I think that just the last few weeks have been such a fun time to watch cool things in running like world indoors and the New York city half. And we were talking about, you know, the Oakland running festival with a lot of Austin Bay area runners. I've been having serious FOMO with the speed project. Like it's just, it's such a cool time. And I'm almost like, Oh darn, I'm sad. I'm not running Boston, even though I was like too soon, not going to do it. And then obviously got pregnant, but it's just, I mean, we say this a lot, but I, I really feel this way with the depth. Like it's just such an exciting time for our sport right now. So I'm inspired by that. And Jenny. Yeah. And you, Bridget. I'm inspired by you too. (laughs) Well, I'm so, I feel the same way. I mean, I think, you know, if there's, if I get a little too bogged down with like geopolitical uh, news right now, I think that running is a place to, to go to just see like fun being had, you know, unconventional stuff, like what you're mentioning with the speed project. I'm excited for, I was talking to Adam, we were running around Stanford and I was like, when are the, the, the outdoor meets, mm, you know, and yeah. like, those are coming up at the, I think, in, so I think it's, I think he was saying like end of April. So, you know, coming back with Stanford invite and Peyton Jordan, yeah, we like, gotta go. we gotta go. And I agree. It is seeing the depth, seeing the, the range of possibilities seeing what people have done during the pandemic, you know, and, and in this season, which is, you know, each season is unique, but there have been such kind of unique hurdles and obstacles and opportunities for storytelling that have come out of the last three years. And so I just feel this like deeper connection and understanding of where every athlete is coming from and accessibility to who they are outside of just running and results. And that just deeply enriches the experience of being, a participant and a spectator and just a super fan. So that is a good, that is a great place to go. And, uh, mm-hmm. more of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just said that so beautifully mic drop. Enjoy this episode with Jenny Grimshaw. All right. 
Well, hello and welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. Today, we're so excited to have Jenny Grimshaw with us. Hi, Jenny. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. I mean, you're a newly Bay Area transplant, so we're going to talk about that, but we're we're honored to have you here. I know you've been on some New York City-centric running podcasts and have talked about your running in New York City. And so we're just really glad to claim you as our own now. I'm so excited to officially be a West Coast girl. Sweet. So we like to kick off the conversations um, asking, did you run today? And if so, how did it go? I did. Um, it was good. I was a little tired. It's been a, a big few weeks, but I did the first part with my husband um, and then a few miles alone. So it was it was a good run. Nice. So you're a new mom. So what does that look like? Like, how do you balance? Balance might be a bad word, but like, how do you deal with what I'm assuming might be some sleep deprivation or challenges and still sort of getting up early and, and getting after it? Yeah, I'd say from an ability to get out perspective, uh, I feel very, very lucky. We have, uh, I'm back to work now. So we have childcare starting at 7 a.m. My son, Tate, has been uh, on and off sleeping until 7 a.m. So sometimes what I do is if I need to leave before 7, I watch the monitor until 7 a.m. And my husband has his phone on do not disturb. So if needed, I will call him twice and he Mm. can be on duty. Uh, But I've been very lucky in terms of having uh, the support set up that I can, can leave at 7 to be able to get out the door. And I'm so grateful for that. In terms of um, how I feel when I'm out the door, it's it's definitely hit or miss. We've been going through a bit of a sleep regression. So um, definitely tired and uh, I'm exclusively pumping. So I get up by probably 5.45 or 6 every morning to make sure that's all ready to go before I'm out the door. Um, But to me, running has just been such a kind of important part of my pregnancy journey and coming back and brings me so much joy that I'd say... I kind of feel like I'm, I'm tired no matter what. And there's, uh, I, I feel better when I run and that I'm, I like being, if I'm sleep deprived, tired, also being physically tired right, and then yeah. kind of socially having kind of filled my cup. So it's, it's definitely comes with its own challenges, but I think I, I'm incredibly lucky of the situation that I'm in of, of, um, for the most part being able to get out the door on my own. And so I don't take that for granted. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this is what you just said about like, I'm going to be tired anyway, so I might as well get out there. And like, that's how I feel a lot of the time. I don't have yeah. a kid yet to um, blame it on, but like, if I don't get a good night's sleep or I don't know, I'm stressed about work or my husband is like too loud, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to feel better if I run and I get it in. So exactly. It's, it's a yeah. happier kind of complete exhaustion totally. than without the run. Yeah. For sure. So we're going to go back a little ways before Tate, before San Francisco. What is one of your earliest memories of running? Uh, My earliest memory would be, so it was in eighth grade. I was switching schools and knew I was going to switch to cross country. And uh, I knew the race would be three miles. And my cousin said she was going to take me for a run. She was about six years older, a basketball player. I, I idolized her. Um, I was told the run was going to be two miles. It was three. And the whole last mile, I, I just couldn't do it. I remember I told her to go ahead. I put on probably my like disc man and listened to <laughs> that 
um, I forget even the band, but the song, it's like, I walk this lonely road. Okay. Uh, I'm just feeling like so sorry for myself. But I remember I did it and I got home and I think my parents were in on this and, and encouraged her a bit to, to extend that ride. And they were like, look, now you know you can do the race distance. And I was like, wow, we'll see if I ever want to do that distance again. Um, but it, it's kind of my earliest memory. And just, you know, the, the fact of that's kind of what running is, is you get out there with people and you don't always know what you're getting into, but you make it home somehow. Yeah, my earliest memories of running definitely include a disc man. So yeah, the good Those old days. They're so heavy. <laughs> and the music like skipped. If you're running, you're like, yeah. how do I manage this? iPods, iPhones, it changed our life. Um, so you did that distance and then you you did end up running in high school. So what what was that like? What was the decision to to do that and to say, okay, three miles, maybe, maybe this is for me? Yeah, running in high school saved me. I was a really shy kid at a new school, um, had a lot of anxiety issues and just had the most phenomenal coach and team. He was very team oriented and it was a freshman year was really hard um, in running at every distance and every workout was new to me. But the team aspect of it that he uh, was such a proponent of was incredible. And days at school were often hard socially. And so having that team practice in the afternoon was what definitely got me through the day. Yeah. Do you think like, I don't know, sometimes it's helpful to like expend energy in different places. So putting sort of more energy into the running as opposed to the things that like maybe drain you like I don't know, anxiety at school. I definitely experienced that too, particularly like when it, when it came to academics, but like if I could go and do my sport and be good at it, it sort of gave me a a different sense of like a, a new sense of confidence in a way. I think that's totally it. And, and I was shy, but more out of a sense of being just very kind of self-conscious and not Mm. really knowing who I was because I actually, when I got to know people was like very loud and very weird and loved being (laughs) a very like weird kid. And there's something about running where, you know, it's the endorphins not looking at each other and where that kind of like weird eccentricness can come out. And so I felt like who I was during the day was kind of, you know, more anxiety around social norms and stuff. And then there was like the really, you know, kind of crazy me out on the trails with my teammates. And so I think that part opened up early on of just kind of how much the running community is, is awesome when you can be yourself in all the weirdest ways. Totally. Yeah. I used to go, I'm like, I'm the same way of once I get to know someone or basically all you need to say is hi to me and then I'll just engage with you. But if I don't know you, I have a hard time, I don't know, interrupting conversations. And I remember, uh, this was even after college. I used to go to these events where I didn't know anyone and I would just go there. And if no one talked to me, I wouldn't be able to start a conversation and I would like (laughs) drive an hour and then leave not having talked to anyone because it just made me so nervous. Starting conversations is definitely awkward when there's kind of like a big group and you don't know how to how to jump in. But in the run, like you're all out there together. It's so much easier to kind of meet people and be yourself out on the on the roads. Yeah. It's like there's no filter. And I think I think like people have been talking about this. Like, yeah, there is something to the I'm not looking you in the eye. And exactly. so it feels just safer. It's great. Yeah. Cool. So ultimately you decided that you wanted to continue running in college. So what did that look like? Like, were you recruited? You know, how did you decide that you wanted to sort of keep going? I was recruited. 
running in college was interesting. I wouldn't say that I was the uh, most kind of like all-star athlete. I think I went through a lot of anxiety issues in high school. I actually had to take um, all of kind of senior spring off running and part of school for panic attacks and got to college and felt like I was in a place where I just really wanted to kind of expand my horizons and kind of like put a lot of that behind me. And I think, um, we could say I, I learned a lot socially in college and was kind of exploring that a lot more than I did in, in high school, a little more partying. Um, and so I was injured a lot and, you know, not a lot of sleep and I, I don't regret any of it. I think that that's kind of something I need to go through and to figure out my own relationship with running. But I think it was hard in that I'm not, I'm not a person too, who's tend to be super competitive against others. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and would rather work with others towards a goal than to work against them. So I just think the college racing environment was not one um, that was really suited to my skills and my joy of the sport in terms of that type of training and the shorter distances. So, um, definitely don't regret any of it, but wouldn't say I was kind of like the, the role model athlete that I, I maybe could have been. And yeah, I, I don't like to have regrets, but I, I maybe would have, um, encouraged former me to approach it a little differently. Hmm. It's interesting, but I like what you said of like, you know, you're like, even back then being self-aware of what brings you joy in the sport. And it's not necessarily like the really like competitive aspect of it. And I, I mean, I know, I'm sure there's a competitive side to you. Like you wouldn't have been successful in your race results and like what you've achieved probably without it. But I think that's like an important piece of self-awareness to be able to, I don't know, to have that at that age and to sort of give yourself like some room to be able to be like, Hey, you know, like those people over there, they're doing that. And they're like really getting competitive about it. But like, that's not my jam. I'm going to like experience college a little bit more. And I think like, that's, that's okay too. But it's also, I think interesting, like I do this all the time of like, Hey, what could I have done differently? Or like, how could I have been different in that situation? Or like, what would 20 year old me do? But it's hard. It's hard when you're, you know, 10 years later trying to. Yeah. And I think too, as, as runners, it's hard. I think we all have a tendency of not liking to do things kind of halfway. Right. Um, and I think that's what I a little bit struggled with was that idea mm. of kind of not being all in um, and really wanting to be a good teammate and a good athlete to my coaches and struggling to find that balance. I think is a hard thing to provide yourself some like grace and kindness totally. around. No, that's such a good point. Yeah. I was talking to my coach about it the other day. Like it can be like all or nothing, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know, so after college, you, you did decide to keep running and then did you go straight to New York after college or what did, what did that transition look like for you? I was in Boston for two years and then moved to New York city uh, in 2015 after those two years. Were you active in the running scene in Boston at all? I was. I'd say the first few years after college was, again, still trying to find my place in running. I ran a marathon the summer after I graduated, kept running one or two a year, but I didn't love it. I did a lot of my training alone and had really bad anxiety. My mom got a lot of crying phone calls. My mom and dad, uh, mid-races. And it was it was really tough. I think I hadn't yet found the place where running was something that I did because I loved it. I was still putting it as kind of my, my self-worth and value and trying to find its balance in my life. And so, yeah, I really, I struggled with it, but I, I, there was something about it that kept bringing me back, but it took until 
coming to New York City and joining the Central Park track team where I realized that I loved the act of running Mm. because of kind of what we talked about earlier, how it lets you kind of be yourself and find others that you can really connect with. And so I think those few years of just trying to chase breaking three by myself Mm -hmm. for three, four years was not the relationship that I wanted with running. Mm. Like how did you get into the marathon and what did that look like? And how did your goals shift over time? I always loved longer distances. Uh, I love like data and just kind of locking into a pace. And so I had a summer uh, after college. I wasn't starting work until it was September 23rd, I remember, because my marathon was September 22nd in Montreal. And so, you know, when you when you have a summer free, why not train for your first marathon? Uh, but that one was actually, I think, the kind of happiest of those first few years mm-hmm. of training because it was kind of this time in my life where I didn't have much to do. I was, you know, every long run was my first time I'd ever hit that distance and it wasn't time-based. It was just about finishing and I think I loved that experience so much that I was like, wow, I think that marathons could be um, my jam. But then once you had already kind of set the benchmark of, of where you're starting, I think then it just became a lot more pressure of um, the time goals versus the experience. Right. It's sort of like this, I always have to do better. Otherwise I'm regressing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. And like, the marathon, it's just, it's not linear. Like you're always, you're not, I mean, some people get better every time. Sure. Like they'll improve on it, but I think those people are like far and few between, right? There's so many variables with the marathon that are out of your control that you have to be okay with it. You have to be okay to like have a bad one. And that's hard because you're putting in so much time and effort for such a long period of time. It's not like you have a bad 5k and you're like, all right, I'm going to try again next week. I think that's what's so hard about the distance and recognizing that in the long term, actually the years of mileage and workouts and learning experience from the marathon actually really does pay off. It's a lot easier said than in the moment when you've just devoted four months of, of your life to training for something and it doesn't go as planned and it's not an enjoyable day. It's it's hard to see longer term um, when those type of things happen because you can't just, you know, try to run another one the next month, even though I I wouldn't put it past me to try to <laughs> Go sign up. It's not the wisest decision. Right. People do. I mean, I've seen it happen, but usually it's like I dropped out early in the race because of weather, because like something happened. And exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned like then you were on a, like, how soon after your first marathon were you like, okay, I'm going to break three hours? Right away. Yeah. So I ran at 312, um, Mm. my first marathon. And then for the next, that was 2013. And then until 2018 tried probably one to two times a year and never didn't break 312 again until I think 2017. Um, so it was four years of, of not PRing and, um, just like a lot of really tough days. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was, um, because you're training hard, right? You're getting better. Like you said, sort of the accumulation of miles and training, like you do, you do progress. So do you think it was like, more mental sort of the races themselves or like, what do you think was getting in your way? And then how did you get it out of your way? Yeah, it was very mental. I would get to the middle of a race and just kind of break down like the anxiety attacks of not being able to breathe. And it's Mm. tough because panic attacks really mimic a lot of uh, like what it's like to work out hard, right? Like Mm -hmm. you start breathing, your heart rate gets higher, you get sweaty, you get a little dizzy. And so 
I would start to panic. And to me, that would signal like, oh, this is hard. And then I'd often get more of like a full-fledged panic attack and need to stop. And I think that came from putting so much of, of my happiness on the sport on hitting that goal. And it just, it, it was too much. I couldn't, I didn't have confidence in myself. I didn't have confidence in my love for the sport. And so mm-hmm. if I was doing it all for this time and all of a sudden I panicked about that happening, it just kind of, it was like a drowning type feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough. I, I was in a very not good place with running for a few years. Um, but it's, it's a funny sport in that when the, the daily run can still provide you with so much happiness and then there's something about those goals that keep you coming back. It's it's a hard one to kind of walk away from when maybe maybe you need a few months. Right. It's like the most fulfilling yet heartbreaking thing at the same time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's and I think it's hard to explain to people that don't run because they're like 312 that's an amazing time. Who cares, right? And you're like, "Well, this is why it's important to me or this is why it's so disappointing." And then it's like you know, they're like, well, why don't you just do something else? And then I just want to be like, why don't you do something else? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's weird to think about too, like no one cares about your own running as no, much as you care. totally. And so why do you care so much? And what is it about those goals that are really are, like, one, are those goals fulfilling you or are they serving a negative purpose? And two, like why? And mm-hmm. really, I think it took me a long time to kind of fit. I'm still figuring it out, but answering those questions. And it's just, it's such a funny, funny sport that way. Totally. So what was the change for you? It was, uh, joining central park track club. Um, Mm -hmm. I cannot say enough good things about them. Um, I found myself with this morning crew. Uh, it was a group of maybe kind of 10, uh, 10 people, a lot of, um, men actually, uh, I think there were like two of us women when I started and then maybe kind of like five to 10 of us when I, when I moved, which was great. But they met at 5.45 a.m., which my job didn't start till, you know, 9, 9.30. I didn't necessarily need to be there that early, but they just love the sport and could not be more supportive. Like, are the biggest cheerleaders of each other, but have fun with it. Like, they get competitive, but they're going to tell you if they're racing you in a joking way, right? There's none of this kind of like behind the scenes trying to race each other. Like we were all building each other up and kind of having fun, pushing each other along in it. And I just, my eyes were open to this mm-hmm. whole new world of like, yes, working together and wanting each other to do well is incredible. And then by joining that team, I was exposed to the broader New York city running mm-hmm. community. And it was in this time where, you know, 2018, 2019, all these women going after the trials and, whether or not you were close to the standard or you got it, it just created such camaraderie and everyone wanting to work together. And so it it really felt like a a new sport to me and just created so much kind of new confidence in my, my abilities for the sport, but more kind of like my relationship with the sport and, and what I was getting out of it. And I'm rambling, but I could talk about kind of running scene forever and just, there's really nothing like having that group of people who just like get you and get why you do this. And you spend so much time with these people in the daily ins and outs and get so excited for each other. And it's, I feel really lucky to have found something that brings me so much joy that I can share with other people in that way. Um, And I think that was the first time since really like high school 
that I'd felt that. And, and that's really on me for not experiencing that in college. I had incredible teammates who, who did experience that, but just kind of needed to find my own path to finding that. Um, later in life. Mm -hmm. So I lived in New York for 10 years. I left in 2012. Yeah. I, so I left in 2012, but, um, would like run in central park, like in the morning and see everyone and, you know, would be doing my own thing, but always, even though, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if people were part of a running group. I didn't know like what that was back then because Mm -hmm. social media was like newer and just, I didn't understand, um, quite frankly, but there was something too about even not being part of a team, like in the morning at like 545 in Central Park, just seeing the same people, right? Yeah. And just like that, like knowing not of like, oh yeah, you're out here too. Just like doing this thing and getting it done. It's such a, it's such a special community there. Exactly. It really is. I would love taking my husband on runs and I would wave to like 20 different people. And he's like, how do you guys all know each other? Right. And I'm like, you get to know people pretty well at, at 5.45 AM. We might not actually even know each other's name, but we get you really excited. Yeah. Yeah. We might see each other every day and it's just as exciting every morning. Yeah. I have a high school friend who was a member. I think he's still like an honorary member. He wore the singlet at Boston last year of Central Park Track Club. And I remember after I left, I came back to visit and I ran with him once in Central Park. And I'm pretty sure like some of those Strava segments are still my PRs. So he just like <laughs> dragged me along and I was like, you're That's insane. Amazing. But it was really fun. It's a great park. Yeah. So talking about sort of like... Now you're running with these people, like you see these women and men like doing incredible things. And all of a sudden you're thinking like 245, hmm, that's the standard, you know, you see them doing it. Like when does that start entering your consciousness of a goal? Yeah, it's, it's still so weird looking back on how all that happened. It's, you know, sometimes things you just kind of get like things happen. And then you look back and you're like, wow, well, that, that was really kind of strange that I went down that path. And that I always say like, there was no kind of data to back up that I, that was a goal that I should be going for next. Right. Like it took me, I just said, you know, four or five years to finally break three. And that was my last marathon. I'd run two fifty nine, but it was a combination of, um, the morning crew on central park, really kind of believing in me and, and telling me day in, day out, like, I think you should train for this as well as a few, um, really, really close girlfriends. Um, my friend Grace, who, uh, is a, still a very good friend of mine. Um, I remember you guys telling just you did a podcast together. Allie we and did. Yes. Friendship Fest, so we'll plug that yes. here. Go listen to it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but she kind of brought up the idea and I said this, I think on on that podcast as well, there's a difference to me in saying, okay, I'm going to go after 244 and okay. Um, I'll do these training paces if that's what you all are doing and and we'll see where it nets out. So I thought, you know, if I train with these people who are doing that pace, I'll hopefully get a PR along the way and I'll know by the time race day comes what's feasible. But I'd say it it took me, and even up until race day, I don't think I fully believed I was capable. It took me a long time to even believe I kind of belong training at those paces. But it's sometimes you just kind of got to let others convince you or even not convince you. Just say, like, I'm up for anything if I want to run with you. And so I'll try to hang on as long as I can. And care less about what the ultimate time goal is and more about seeing what you can do each week in the training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you did it. I did it. Spoiler yeah. Spoiler alert, but <laughs> it's out there. You can find that pretty, that information pretty easily. Yeah. Um, 
you did it. And I, we won't get into that too much here because there's so much I want to talk to you about. But I actually remember right after you did it. So I've, I feel like a weird stalker. I've been following you for a long oh, time. Oh, I love is that, it. Is that weird? <laughs> like, I feel really weird. Um, this but is I remember awesome listening about the running world. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also like, is that creepy? Like, I know way more about you than I should. Um, but I, I loved the podcast that you did with your mom about CIM and sort of the whole experience and the relationship with your mom. And you, you give a great race recap there. So plug that it's from a, it's from now a couple years ago, but still a great, great episode. I remember where I was when I was running. I think I was in, in the Bay area. Um, I lived down in the peninsula. So plug for Wonderlick park up in Woodside. (laughs) And so I was just running through the trails, listening to this podcast and it was so delightful. So thank you for joining me on that run. But I do have one follow-up question. And so mm-hmm. people, our listeners might think this is really weird, but I, I related to you on this level when you said what you ate after the race. Octopus. And you said yeah. octopus. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's delicious. And so I want to talk about like what makes good octopus? Where's your favorite place to get octopus? All the things. Okay. I don't have to go too deep on it, but I'm I'm curious. I have very strong feelings. I will only eat American octopus. I have been, uh, I was on a trip in Europe and I was so excited that they had grilled octopus on the menu. They don't make it the same over there. I think in America, when they say grilled, it's flash fried. And Mm. that's what makes it so amazing is it's basically like fried crispy octopus. And then when I had it at this one place in, in Europe, it was, you know, actually kind of like tenderly baked and grilled and tasted a lot more like people would probably think if they haven't had grilled octopus, but like really good crispy octopus. I'm still looking for the best place in San Francisco. If you have a recommendation, I had all my spots in New York. Okay. So there's an amazing restaurant and I'm, I was like blanking on the name, but I just remembered it in Palo Alto called Evia, but I don't think it's the type of octopus that you would like. It's more, oh. I think it's like Spanish and it's more it's European. tender European. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on calamari? Does that count? No, because that's really, I mean, grilled calamari I like. But it's really fried. It's like an onion ring. But yeah, octopus. no, like yeah. I, I I, don't like, I like the flash fried, but not when it's like coated. And fr- I right. mean, I, I like that, but that's not kind of the- You're not going to seek that out. Yeah. No. I did once try to, to make it at home and let me tell you that was a complete <laughs> disaster. Do not buy octopus at the grocery store. No. What's, what were your favorite places in New York for octopus? Uh, La Amico was great. Um, Quality Eats has the most mm. incredible grilled octopus. Um, those are my two favorite for, okay. for octopus eating. Nice. Well, I'll keep you posted if I find anything. I mean, my husband and I both love it. And so we're always like, if there's octopus on the menu, we will order it. And sometimes yeah. it's disappointing and sometimes... It's good. I think we had some good one in Vegas, um, the Aria. I can't remember the exact restaurant, but... I've never been to Vegas, yeah. but maybe I'll have All to right. go. Yeah, just for the octopus. <laughs> so you you ran in the trials, um, which was like, I imagine, just a surreal, amazing experience before the world shut down. What was that like for you? It, oh, it was, it was one of the best days. I. It's funny because after that race... People who are watching or saw photos, they're like, wow, you love racing. You're the happiest runner. And that I think was probably like the proudest I've ever been of myself. Mm. Not that I was there or the time, but just that 
people saw me race and were like, wow, you really love this sport because I worked really hard to get to that place. And for so many years, all the race photos were me, you know, crying or or having a break. So I was just so happy to be out there and with so many kind of awesome women and um, seeing so many moms there was just so, so inspiring. And so, yeah, I could, I could rave about that weekend forever, but I think to me, it was just such a reminder of it's it's an amazing sport and it doesn't end kind of like earlier in life. It's something that you can bring with you forever. And my mom's been an incredible example of that, but I think there can be something scary about something you love so much and Mm. will this be taken from me in the next few years? And so to see so many people with running competitively at different stages of their life was really inspiring. Yeah, I feel that big time right now. But um, (laughs) yeah, so like then basically the world ended kind of. Yeah. Um, Like what did running and life look like post trials? And then in the pandemic, I know you had some big life changes um, that we can talk about. Yeah. um, It was funny. I was listening to your podcast with Lizzie uh, Mm -hmm. around. He was a good friend of mine. You were talking about how there were two camps of people who either kind of took the time to relax a bit or people who were kind of, I have um, a bit more time. Let me get into this. I was definitely the latter, maybe, maybe a bit to a fault, but I just kind of threw myself into, I was never really a high mileage runner and trying higher mileage and virtual racing was, I found so fun because it, mm-hmm. it let me get more like quote racing practice without a lot of that anxiety. So that was great. I, I focused a bit more on track running, which was kind of a, not, I don't know if chip on my shoulder is the right word, but something that I felt I had unfinished business with mm-hmm. after college. So to get the the 5k PR so many years later was a, a really kind of good full circle there. And then uh, for my husband's work, we moved to San Francisco uh, the fall of 2020. And I mean, running was what made this place home so quickly. Mm. The women I met out here were so welcoming. And, you know, within a month of being out there, I had convinced Sophie, another one of your guests, to run 42 miles across the canyon and back with me after, you know, we knew each other for two, three weeks. And that just speaks to, I think, the kind of adventure spirits of of the woman out here. And it was incredible to move to a new place across the coast from all of my family and just find that that home so quickly. I will say the first week, I, the day we moved out was, if you remember, Orange Sky Day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was tough. Um, Sophie did. I met her on Orange Sky Day and we ran in N95s one day because we just needed to get out. But yeah. that, that was a rough first week. I was close to going back home. Oh gosh. Yeah. I do remember that day. It was like the apocalypse. I remember yeah. I had a hair appointment and I was driving to the hair appointment and I was like, what time is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what. I, I, yeah. I had slept until like eight because I think I didn't set an alarm and it wasn't getting bright. And I woke up to all these texts from the East coast being like, are you okay? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm like, look out the window. And it was a very harrowing experience. Mm-hmm. But after that week got, got a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Um, So we'll talk about the San Francisco Bay Area running scene. But if you're okay with talking about sort of, I know on Allie's show with your mom, you talked a lot about sort of her experience with breast cancer. And then, you know, you're testing for the BRCA1 gene and and finding out those results. You know, are you okay with with talking a little bit about that and what that was like, particularly in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah. Um, So I found out 
Uh, it was actually again, Sophie's birthday run. I believe it was November 7th. Don't quote me on that. Sorry, Sophie. I can't remember your exact date. You're really good um, with date show. Like, this is it, was, it was early November and I knew I was getting the results that day. And Sophie was organizing a birthday run and that was exactly what I needed. I needed my mind off of it that morning. Um, so for those who don't know, um, the BRCA1 gene, uh, if you have it, it, it basically means um, you're, you're more likely than not to get, to get breast cancer. I think it's 60 to 80%. Mm-hmm depending on what you read and 30 to 50% ovarian. And, um, unfortunately have, uh, early onset, um, on both types of cancer in my family. So, um, makes the urgency for testing and, um, kind of preventative decisions even more timely. My mom is incredible. She had breast cancer at 38, beat it, and is just such an incredible role model of, of strength. Um, but I, I always knew it was a possibility. I think I knew in my heart that I had the mutation Hmm. still doesn't prepare you for uh, when you get the news. And so I think my immediate response was to kind of learn as much as I can and go into action. I think emotionally it took a little more out of me than I realized and um, actually tried to race a a half marathon a few weeks later and to drop out because I was, I was just a bit um, kind of worn out, but what made sense for me, there's so many different kind of routes of, of how you can kind of process these things and actions you can take. But what I always knew was that I, I want to be a mom. That's kind of one of the only things I've really ever known in life for sure. And so to me, um, being able to freeze my eggs and genetically screen them for the BRCA mutation felt incredibly powerful and a way to take a bit of control over my life. Um, So one thing that's pretty incredible is you can get, um, for preventative means, both a a mastectomy, which is your breasts out. You can also nowadays get your ovaries out and still be able to carry children if you have frozen embryos. Um, so I just knew that if I got sick or got my ovaries out earlier, um, than, than I was expecting or et cetera, I wanted that option to, um, have kids. And, uh, again, this is kind of where running can help process so many things. I knew that I was going to do this, um, in the second week of December, I was going to come out to San Francisco cause we were going to live full time here. And, uh, a few of my friends, um, out in New York, um, uh, Alana Copelson lives in New York and, and Grace Keller and, uh, Chris Chavez agreed to go on this crazy adventure of running the Manhattan perimeter with me, which was 32 miles. And they were just kind of all ears the whole run. They let me talk about how I was processing things when I needed to. They let me talk about other things when I wanted distraction. Chris gave us his, his stand-up comedy. He's hysterical. <laughs> um, and so I went into that egg freezing in December, just feeling really, really confident in my decisions. Uh, there's still kind of a, a long, many steps ahead. Um, and it gets very scary to think about in terms of both the surgeries that I will have and um, in a bit silly and selfish way, what that will mean for running. There's going to be a lot of hiccups and interruptions mm-hmm. in running over the next five plus years. Um, but I'm, I'm so grateful for how running has let me process it. And that I was able to take, um, that first preventative step and, and have my, my son out of it. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be and sort of knowing what, you know, thinking toward the future, but You know, I think that like, I'm also the kind of person that like, okay, I need to take action. I need to have all the information so that I can actually like 
part of the processing is also like figuring out what I need to do. Exactly. And I met a few friends through, um, the running community. Um, Allie Feller introduced me to to Dr. Maggie Smith, who was an incredible support system through the IVF process. And, um, it's definitely something that is not spoken about kind of often, especially the genetic mutation side of things. And I'm a person who feels better when I can openly share things. So, um, it's been incredible to kind of hear from more people that I've connected with in the running community who have been through or are dealing with similar things. Cause I think like anything, there's just power in tackling things together mm-hmm. when, when they're scary. Totally. Um, if it's okay, maybe we can talk a little bit about running while pregnant because yeah. I did get pregnant and, um, we talked about this before we started recording, but I am also pregnant and I'm Yay! actually due. You mentioned September 23rd. That's my due date. Um, you you know, and I think as I've sort of been reflecting on running while pregnant, you know, particularly in the first trimester, and as you mentioned, like things started to get a little easier around 11 weeks, I'm around 13 weeks right now. Um, like, I don't think people talk enough about going from not knowing you're pregnant. Right. And I mean, I had like the best long run of my life the day before I found out (laughs) to, I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. And I can't even fathom getting out the door and what that does to not just your identity as a runner, but like as a person, your mental health, especially when you use running as a way to processing and like how quickly you need to shift your goals. And I just found like, I have no idea what other people do or how they felt during this time. And so I'm really curious how you felt during that time and what running looked like throughout your pregnancy. Yeah. And I think what's so difficult too, is that everyone's different and within everyone, every week's different. So some mm-hmm. weeks I would, I would think I was done. I was so tired or in pain, or I, I was actually very lucky in that I never had kind of pain. And that's why I was able to, to run for so long, but God, it was, we were talking about this a bit. It is such a weird mentality to think every week I'm going to put in the same effort. I'm going to try hard and I am just going to get slower and quote, like worse at this every week. It is the weirdest mentality. Um, and I think what I was good at in running during pregnancy was letting go of pace expectations and any fear of, of getting out of shape. What I was bad at was maybe admitting when I couldn't quite keep up from a social lens. And I say that in that running was such a help for me when I was pregnant because especially, you know, in COVID and and working remote, it was the time to see a lot of my friends and I didn't want to be, I wanted to be able to run with them and I didn't want to be kind of the pregnant runner who had to ask everyone to slow down. And so I think I, I really wanted to be able to keep up with everyone. And that's probably the times where I was maybe a little too hard on myself if I wasn't able to, or had to stop and walk and walk home and giving myself a, a little more kind of grace along that. But man, pregnant running is so weird. I felt the first trimester was hard. The I was so tired, like more tired than I've ever been in marathon training. Often wanted to throw up during the run. I never did. Um, I, I also think morning sickness is a bit of an unfair myth and that I actually felt more and more sick as the day went on. Me too. I feel like for like actually after like week 11, I've been better, but it was like first few weeks, like three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I was like done. Exactly. So I was running in the morning was somewhat okay. If I were to ever run at night, um, it would would not have worked, but 
then it got a little better. And then I was, um, I had been at my company for over four years. And when you hit that, you're allowed a month sabbatical. So I was home on the East coast with my family. It's probably around six months or so. And my sister, um, who's an amazing athlete has gotten more into running just for fun. And she only has one pace and one distance. And she mm-hmm. runs eight minute pace for eight miles. Love it. And I, would, I, I look back now and I'm like, that was, I tell her all the time. I was like, that was so hard, but it was such a special time for her and I to have that together to run together every morning. And I felt like she's actually five months pregnant now, which is super exciting. Um, but spending that time with her in the morning was something we had never really had. And so that, that kind of got me going, but I'll just say there's just so many fluctuations and it's a really hard mindset of you are just kind of going to get slower and slower. And also having the acceptance of as soon as something hurts, like I don't come first. And so I'll mm-hmm. need to stop. And that was the other thing that was really hard is I think in, in 2020 and in COVID, I was a little, I was okay with maybe making a little bit like a riskier decisions, like running across the Grand Canyon and back that was maybe going to injure me, but kind of towing the line, having fun with it. And when you're pregnant, it's a whole other mindset. It's not, you don't come first. And so that, that was difficult. And I think too, a lot of people you'll find will have opinions. Um, (laughs) and so there, and there's no right answer, right? Like I sometimes worry that I was doing too much or I worried that I was like, worrying about doing too much. And it's, you really find a way to just kind of listen to your body. And I think you just, a lot of it's luck and a lot of it's kind of letting go of the reins and Mm -hmm. finding what role running plays in your life. But man, it is tough. And I look back now and I'm like, pregnancy running is altitude training. It is wild how, how much you're actually building strength for your body, even though you just feel like you're getting so much slower. I'm going to keep that in mind. I'm just going to keep telling myself that. It's, it's literally altitude. It's crazy. Like you'll feel so strong when you come back because you've been running at different oxygen capacity, carrying mm. a weight, building a human. And it's any way you can get out the door for your mental health. I think you're also building physical strength. Um, totally. So if, if you're able to physically do it and you want to do it, which I think is the most important, um, you have to want, like, don't ever make yourself go out and feel pressure to do it. But yeah, it's it's definitely altitude training. Yeah. It was like weeks, I don't know, six-ish through 11 that I was like, I don't even want to do this. Like I yeah. I need to do some sort of exercise daily to like feel happy. So I would just get on the Peloton bike. Um, but it was only a few weeks ago that I started getting out there every day again and feeling a little bit more like myself. And I think during those that period of time where you don't even want to do it and you're just like that bone tired of like, you've never felt that way yeah. in your life. You're like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a, you know, when I'm pregnant, I'm going to run through my pregnancy and be one of those women that's like running up until the day that she delivers. Right. And then like, all of a sudden I was like, nope, last thing I want to do is go for a run today. And that kind of terrified me. I was like, yeah. will I ever want to run again? <laughs> You'll feel that the second trimester running is so I, I I mean, like everyone's different, but especially from a tired perspective, I felt so much better Mm. that that I was also on the East coast. The Hills here hit so different. Mm. Yeah. So the, the flat East coast was also made, made pregnancy running a lot easier. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you were mostly pregnant in San Francisco, right? In the Bay Area. So like you mentioned, trying to keep up from a social perspective and and like keep your community or, find, you know, all of that thing, like keep running, find a community, be in a new place. Um, 
you know, and then ultimately, like, it seems like you have, right? You've now joined the Impalas. I saw you racing in the Impala jersey. Yeah. looked great. Like, what was that like for you running and finding your community here, even, even while pregnant? And then ultimately, you know, getting back into it and joining the Impalas. Yeah. So I'd say in pregnancy, I've been really lucky in that, um, I have a few very close running friends, uh, with kids, a few on the Impalas, one not, and they have just been an unbelievable resource. Um, I'm definitely on the, on the younger side, I think to have kids and I don't have that many friends with kids. And so it's this weird balance of, you know, you don't want to be kind of the, the like mom of the group always, and always talking about, um, your kid. And there's, there's something fun about sometimes when you go for a run and you kind of lose yourself in that run. And then you come home and you're like, Oh, my baby's here. And it's the best. <laughs> but so I'd say it's a balance of kind of having running, being a bit of that separate identity, but at the same time, finding, um, those friends through running who do have kids. Like I, my friend, Melissa sent me the most incredible Google spreadsheet. I don't know what I would have done without, without her. And, um, like my, my friend Katie, who I would go for these runs and, uh, even like close to the end. And she would always text me every morning towards the end of my pregnancy. And she was like, I'm going to keep texting you to put out the invitation if you want to walk run. Cause she mm. knew how important it was to have that social part of my day and not feel pressure to keep up. So I was so grateful for that. And then, you know, there's, there's Teresa who I've, I've been chasing and training and I say chasing cause she is so fast. I, I couldn't, can't quite say running with, but has been kind of such an inspiration of kind of what it means to come back and find your new groove in running. And, and there's so many others. Um, but I, I even forget the question a bit, but yeah, I, I think no, like, just like, yeah, that's it. Finding community, even when you feel like maybe you can't keep up. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's been really, really fun coming back. And, and that's kind of, I guess what I was getting at is having these moms as part of the broader group, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we are moms. We have also really close friends and training partners who aren't, and we all get each other because of running. And so there are times where I want to be Jenny, the mom and ask questions and talk about Tate. And there are times where I don't want to be, you know, the postpartum runner. I just want to be like Jenny, the runner and the Impala. And I feel like with these women, I, I'm able to really be that and have been very lucky in the return to running and chasing new goals. And just like really, really loving it. And mm -hmm. so excited to chase goals this year. Um, I think what we talked about a bit before with the Braca stuff, they'll, there'll be a lot of years to come where mm -hmm. I won't have a full year where my body's kind of mine. And so I've maybe towed the line and coming back pretty quickly, but, um, this year is kind of, I've, I've allowed myself to kind of say this year is about chasing those goals and going after it. I love that. Yeah. It's your year. I mean, life gets in the way and whatever that means, you know, you have to carve out the time for yourself to chase your goals so that you feel like you got everything out of it. Um, I think that's super important. Uh, so what we, we also talked about a little bit before we got on is, um, so I was supposed to run the Napa marathon and I did not, um, but I did come in sheer at the end. And so I remember seeing you just like blast through, I think you came in fourth. Is that right? Yes. Um, I mean, you were just killing it in your new Impala top. It was a very cute top too. It was like that blue one with like it's a skin neck. I was like, it's Oh yeah, yeah, she looks good too. Um, like what has the return looked like? And then I mean, that was a fast half marathon that you ran, you know, 
what are you like six months postpartum? Not even. So I mean, what has that, that looked like for you in the return? Yeah, I have, I mean, I, I really, all I can say is that I've been unbelievably lucky. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what it comes down to is it's a ton of luck in how my body has responded. It's really, really weird. I don't like, I honestly don't quite understand. Um, like the bot, the body is just, it's somewhat hard to understand. And that I'm just, I'm honestly feeling really, really good. Mm. Um, that, that half was uh, a PR for me. And I thought so. I didn't want to say it, but I was like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was really fast. Um, so I, I just been, I'm having so much fun. And I think what's been really helpful is actually there are just no expectations. Mm. Um, and so I have what we've talked about, just like such fast woman to chase. Um, and so I just go to practice. I don't, I do their workout. I don't have any pace goals. They say, I'm going to do this. And I say, great, I'll hang on as long as I can. And it's, it's been so fun. There's like no comparison for me of, uh, it's a lot of different workouts, right? Cause I've never fully trained with the Impala. So there's no, there's no like former training block. This mirror is to compare it to. And I'm kind of taking the approach. I said when I was coming back, there were kind of no expectations. And I'm trying to reframe that as kind of like, if you say there are no expectations, then you also have to say there are no limitations. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of time in my head, I'll, I'll say, I can't do this. This is faster than I was doing pre-pregnancy. And if I'm not going to set the expectations, then I kind of just have to believe in myself and and kind of go with it. And so, yeah, it's just been a lot of really loving running because I feel like it's such an important part of my identity, such gratitude to be able to do workouts again when I basically took, you know, a year off from them. And then just so much fun chasing people out there. Like I, I didn't realize how much I missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I think in pregnancy, I was so focused on running as a social outlet and, and what we talked about of making sure that I, you know, wasn't putting myself first, that I, I didn't miss it as much as I thought I would. And now I'm like, wow, I love this. Like, it's so, so fun and the energy and yeah. So I've been very lucky. Like I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm constantly scared of getting injured Mm. because I feel like I love being a mom and running makes me a better mom. It, fills my cup. It makes me feel confident and strong. Um, and having that hour or two of the day out there has been so helpful in my postpartum comeback. There was a week where I was injured and it was the hardest week postpartum by far. Um, and so like, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm very, I worry constantly about getting injured. And so I'm trying to make sure that I'm finding that line. And I don't like to put too much happiness and emphasis on running because of that fear. I think we all have that. Um, but it's, it's really just been so powerful in um, finding my, my new self the last few months. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, thank you for saying like, you feel like you've been lucky, like this is your experience, right? Because everyone's experience postpartum is so different. Totally. Um, you know, we've talked to women who have really, it's been really challenging. And I think that like, you can't compare yourself to anyone else and you sort of have to do what's right for you. And I will say like, you know, that then the weekend of Napa was a hard one for me. I hadn't really been, I was just sort of getting back into running, like turning that corner, definitely had some FOMO, but actually, and was really questioning, like, will I ever be able to do this again? And I know that you your yeah. And I know that your experience might not be my experience, but it was actually like really inspiring and empowering to see you come through because I was like, Oh, 
Like, it's not so much if she can do it, I can do it. It's just like, okay, that's a possibility. It might not be for me, but it's not impossible. Right. So it was really great to see you. Thank you. I think that's a really good way to say it because like, it's exactly what you said. Like, I know that I'm very lucky and that a lot of this is so much out of control. I've also had really awesome role models of women um, from Central Park in here who have found their running place in motherhood. For some of them, it was six months later. For some of them, it was two years later. Mm -hmm. Like there are different timelines for everyone. But I think that idea that it comes back in different ways, but you will you will find your way back to it when you love it. It's just that trying to avoid the comparison of kind of when that happens, but knowing that in some form at some time it it will be there again was what I kind of tried to remind myself with, with the different examples that I saw. Mm -hmm. So you talked about like this year really being, you know, for you and setting some goals, like you want to share some of those goals? Like what are the, what does that look like? Yeah. Oh, it's scary to say, but I, um, I'm running, I haven't said these out loud, but, um, why, why not be a little less scared to put things out there? Right. So I'm running the Eugene half in, um, I think it's May 1st, uh, with a bunch of friends, including Grace. And I think we're going to go for sub sub one eighteen. Nice. Um, we'll see. And then I'm running grandma's and would love to PR. Yeah. So that would be sub 244. I think to be in the low 240s, 40, 41 would be, um, it's a big stretch, but I would love that. But yeah, I'm kind of, it's, it's scary to say those things out loud, especially because I've been so non-time-based, but it's fun to go after. So why not? Totally. Yeah. Well, the Eugene half is really fun. I ran it the year before they tore down old Hayward. So hopefully you end up in Hayward again, but that's a great race. I've never run grandma's, but I know lots of people who have, and you know, I feel like it's kind of like the CIM of the Midwest. Yes. Yeah. And a bunch of San Francisco, um, women are doing it, which will be super fun. That's awesome. I mean, you know, and I know that like the next five years, next, however many years are going to look different for you because of, you know, what's going on in your life. But what do you think about this new standard about 237? Like you've already seen some teammates, <laughs> even though it didn't count, like you've seen yes. you know, at least one of your teammates crush it. So like, yeah, what do you think about amazing. that? I know. Um, yeah. Holly. Holly, <laughs> yeah. Seeing Holly do it. And then just Holly and Lizzie and in Sophie, they're training together for CIM mm-hmm. and all three of them sending huge PRs mm-hmm. was super inspiring. Um, it's hard. I'd say when the standard came out, I said, absolutely no way. Um, I think that's, as I've reflected on it more, that's a, that's the type of mentality that we all need to not take. Um, Mm. do I think it's likely? No, I am not going to kind of put my heart on getting it. That being said, I want to train really hard. It's fun to shoot for goals And so I'd say like my lifetime goal right now is 240. But this whole idea of if you're not going to set expectations, you can't set limitations. Like I'm, I'm removing it from my statements to say, there's no chance that I'm running it. Um, I, I, I think it's a huge stretch, but you know, I, I don't think it's doing the women's running community any, any service for, for us as women to say that's out of my likelihood. So I'm trying to, to work on not saying never. Um, but I'd say just given kind of, um, things that are probably in the next two years, um, you know, there's probably going to get a a mastectomy next year. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what this year holds. Um, 
So yeah. yeah. Never say never. Never say never. So before we wrap up with some fun end of the podcast questions, you know, when you think about your relationship with running really for the rest of your life, like 10, 20, 100 years, like what is that? What do you want from that? What does that look like for you? I would love to go into ultras. Mm. Um, I I did my first 50 miler uh, last year um, in a race for some friends. I actually have a teammate, Anna, right now who is crushing ultras in the trail and the roads. We did last weekend, we did 20 of her 30 mile run on Saturday. And then she did a 20 mile run on Sunday, which was, it's just so cool to watch her throw herself into it and how much she's loving it. And so I'd say, you know, I always want running to be part of my social life in that way and a way to get out and see friends. But I think I want to go after the roads for a few more years, but I think the ultra world is just so fascinating. Like you go to such a different headspace and you get to see so much. And I think finding a way to race or run ultras in a way that still is like community focused. I think what's tough about ultras is you're often out there alone, just that they're smaller and more spread out. And so I'd love to find a way to get into that world with friends, but that's kind of what invigorates me when I think about, you know, 10, even 20 years down the line. Like I'd love for my husband and I to to do a 50 or a hundred miler together someday, you know, purely for fun. If you can call a hundred miler for fun, but finding new ways to maybe when I, I'm not as interested in chasing time goals to chase kind of different adventure goals. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you're, you're hanging out with a lot of the right people. I mean, there are so many people here that I see that you run with. And I mean, our, our mutual friend, David, like, um, but the uh, toe the line tough. between both, right. That yeah, it's been so balance. fun to watch him. I mean, he crushed Napa. He ran a PR. Yeah, and I know. It was he's such, so he's happy. so trail focused and to watch him find a love in the roads that's a bit out of his maybe comfort zone, um, is so cool. I do. I owe him a Tam run. I promise that he could. <laughs> drag me up Tam. So this is on public record that I am committing to that. (laughs) I'll love to hear it. Okay. Let's wrap up with some, um, just some rapid fire questions. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So currently what is your favorite place for a long run in the Bay area? I'm I'm thinking, cause I'd say probably Golden Gate Park, but I'm doing Chrissy Field tomorrow and I'm really excited for some, some flats. Um, if it's just an easy long run, I'd say we're doing Golden Gate, Ocean Beach, Land's End, back to Golden Gate and ending at Ares Monday. Nice. All right. What's your favorite place for a long run in New York city? Central Park. Yeah. Can't be that. Um, if you could go on a long run with anyone, who would it be? Um, I'd say right now, my mom, she's, uh, coming back from knee surgery, hasn't been able to run. Um, I know she'll be back out there, but, and my sister, uh, I I would throw my dad in too, but he's more of a swimmer. So I'd (laughs) say to, um, running has really been such a part of our family, um, and exercise in general. So to be able to run with the two of them would be really special. What's your favorite race distance? Marathon. (laughs) What's a piece of running gear you can't live without? Gloves. I'm like a gloves and, and crop top girl. Okay. Just so amazing considering how many gloves I've lost. Yeah. I struggle with that too. Um, give us the lowdown on like some of your favorite gloves. Um, I'm currently wearing tracksmith gloves. I, I was wearing two mismatching pairs for the last week because I took my son on a walk, lost one of his socks, mm-hmm. put my tracksmith glove on his foot. 
came home and that was gone, which was very <laughs> sad. Um, but I finally, as of yesterday, have two matching colored tracksmith gloves. Nice. Uh, I like those and the whistle ones. They both have the the finger touch screen, which is yeah. great. Yeah. I like, the, I, I got the tracksmith ones as a secret Santa gift. They're, they're awesome. They're good. What about like, I mean, it's not that cold in the Bay area, but it's cold on the East coast. What about for like really cold weather? Oh, it's just, uh, yeah. This, it's like this my eternal issue. Um, yeah, I wore a lot of Wasella's really good warm weather mm-hmm. stuff and no Smith, but it was such a endeavor to get dressed. I'd wear hand warmers, yeah. thick, often like ski gloves, yep. hat, <laughs> ear warmers, like heat warmers in my feet, smart wool socks. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 There is no such thing as like the perfect pair of warm running gloves. It's really a mix of hand warmers and like, yeah, ski gloves or mittens for sure. Yeah. When I first moved out here, I packed like we brought like one suitcase because we weren't sure if we were staying out here. And I think I brought all leggings and wore them on one run. Um, <laughs> and that's how I knew that I was meant to be here is when you don't need any of the leggings I that know. you pack. I know. It's great. So we didn't even talk about your work, but I I feel like I'm an OG Glossier girl and I've been thinking about this question myself and I don't have an answer. Um, but what is your Holy Grail Glossier product? I got to say boy brow. It's, I mean, oh, well, it's boy brow. I will also say lash lick. I'm not a huge, oh, lash I don't lick. wear kind of makeup. I think that's my answer. That <laughs> mascara I've run marathons in with no smudging. It works. It's so good. Yeah. And I'm I not, I don't normally wear makeup in um, marathon. The actually the first time I did it was in New York because I was testing it for a campaign we mm. were doing to see if, if it would last um, in long runs. And it did. And I was like, this is actually kind of, kind of nice wearing a little mascara. So now yeah. I throw some lash slick on before races. Put that on the ad campaign. Yeah. I have a <laughs> yeah. stock of lash slick because I like stock up when they do their sales. Um, I love that. And all the moisturizers, my favorite. Yeah. Our new after bomb. I just got it. It's awesome. I'm so happy. Yeah. (laughs) All right. When I'm not running, you can find me blank, fill in the blank. Uh, a year ago, it would have been sleeping and watching Netflix. Now it is, uh, probably doing tummy time with Tate or singing one of the three songs always stuck in my head. Um, anything with him. Um, it's the, I love coming back from a good long run and just, I get really sad if he's napping when I'm home because I love hanging out with him. Mm. Then later in the day, I'm happy he's napping. So, so I can lie down, but nice. The other thing that we didn't talk about that I, I meant to ask you about was your art. So like you're, oh, doing, yeah. I don't want to, I feel like it's a little, it'd be like rude to call them doodles, but you're like cartoons. You're so talented. How did you were you trained for that or did you, is, did you just pick it up naturally? They're so good. <laughs> I can't really draw except for cartoons. I actually think of them as like pretty mathematical, but when I was a kid, I would just sit in front of Nickelodeon and draw them. And I actually, I, I drew um, some Winnie the Pooh for my son's nursery, which was Aww. really fun, but I find it really weirdly calming. Um, but I can't draw freehand. I have to look at something to draw. Okay. It. Um, and it's, it's pretty, it's weirdly relaxing. Well, they're great. You should keep doing it. I love them. What's your favorite cartoon? Um, gosh, I don't. I was about to say like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I don't know. I yeah, can draw was, you that one. Okay, <laughs> I was really into that as a kid. Um, yeah, no, you're so great at it. It's so fun. Mm. All right, the last and most important question: burger, burrito, or pizza? Burger. 
My go-to Tuesday night post-practice mm. is a Rome burger. A Rome burger. Nice. Yeah. I love cool. it. Uh, where was your go-to place in New York? I'm trying to remember. Probably Quality Eats, but then I'd always get the octopus. So <laughs> I actually, in New York, I'd probably say pizza because yeah. I lived around the corner from Ann Pizza. And so I, I had a lot of Ann Pizza nights. Yeah. I mean, New York pizza. Can't beat it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jenny. This was so fun. So great to get to know you better. And we're so glad you're a part of our community. Thank you. Hope to see you at a a race soon. And so excited for your year ahead. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Jenny Grimshaw. You can find Jenny on Instagram at Jenny underscore G Shaw. That's J-E-N-N-Y underscore G-S-H-A-W. You can find her on Strava. Also, make sure to catch her episodes on the Alley on the Run show. They're all so good. I loved listening to the latest one that we talk about a little bit in the podcast with her friend, uh, Grace Keller, to talk about sort of their journey to OTQing and their friendship. So just a lot of great content out there put out by Jenny. Um, Highly recommend if you're just looking for a really inspirational listen. As always, you can follow us at Runners of the Bay on Instagram. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We need to get better at tweeting. Check out our website. Subscribe. Leave a rating and review. We love to hear from you and you know who you want to listen to, what we can do to make things better. We're just so grateful for you. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.